Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We continue our study through the New Testament. And remember last week in our study in chapter 2, how we look at and study Peter's exhortation to the saints about submission to government and submission to masters. Now, we live in a time period where we don't have the slave-master relations that were in times past, but we do live in a time where we see the employer-employee relations. And this instruction on submission, it continues. And here in verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 3, we begin our study. Wives, in verse 1, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, it's very important to remember Peter. He's not saying, you know, women be submissive to men. Peter doesn't say that. He says, be submissive to your own husbands. It's very important to understand because, you know, you ever see churches where women are treated like second-class citizens? It's because in those fellowships, they teach that women need to be submissive to men. But the Bible doesn't say that. Because remember, in Christ, there is no male nor female. That is in Christ. In Christ, there is no male nor female because there is equality in Christ. But remember, there is structure. There is structure in marriage. And we see wives in Peter's exhortation, and also in Paul's. Remember our study in uh, uh, Ephesians, Ephesians 5 and 6? Very important to understand what the Word of God says. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, you see? And this is something that Paul had to remind the saints in Rome about. Remember in Romans 16 about Phoebe? He says, receive her in a manner that is worthy of the saints and you assist her. To the saints in Rome, you assist Phoebe because Phoebe, yes, she's female, but understand there is equality in Christ where there is no male nor female. You, saints in Rome, you assist Phoebe. Phoebe, she's with me. You see? It's very important to understand this structure because... You know, if if women had to submit to men, you know what would happen? It would be Phoebe would be the assister. But no, that's not what the Bible says. Remember the jumper cables, the beautiful jumper cables of Deborah unto Barak? Remember our study in the book of Judges? It's very important to understand because this is something that in a lot of fellowships, and you see it where women, they're like second class. You see? And, and, and you see it in little girls too, where that, that mentality is fostered. Where all the females, they're like second class citizens. And it breaks my heart because the Bible says, women, be submissive. Wives, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. You see? And just like we see in Romans where Paul speaks about Phoebe and says, no, saints, you are the assisters of her. You see? And so here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, on this topic of submission, where last week we see about the submission to government, submission to masters, or submission to employers, and now we see about wives. 
be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Wives, I'll give you an example. If the husband says, hey, wife, get me my opioids, do not submit to that. But and if later that night the husband says, wife, I want hamburgers for dinner, in that you can submit. Because there's no infraction upon the higher authority, which is the better husband, capital H, which is Jesus. And this is where a lot of wives go off into crazy town. Because husband goes off into crazy town and they submit to their husbands in everything. And so we look at verse 1 that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now, we have verse 1, but don't forget the it is also written. We cannot forget the it is also written. Remember Yael in our study in, 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 in Judges? How her husband was aligned with the enemies of Israel? Picture those talks. Picture those talks, Yael with her husband. You know, hey, husband, I don't, I don't think you should be so anti-Semitic. I don't think you should be so anti-Israel. Husband, I don't think you should be so chummy with this guy who wants to kill the Jews. You see? Picture those talks. Remember the tent pig? The beautiful tent pig that she had in her hand? You see, she could not submit to her husband. It's very important to understand because a lot of wives, you have husbands today, they go off and do their craziness with sexual sin. And then they watch the pornography, they watch the dirty movies. And then what happens is they say, hey, wife, you have to, to submit to me. And so you have to do this. And it is entirely possible for a human body to become defiled, the unnatural use of the human body. And wives just figure, yeah, so I'm going to submit to my husband, so I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And my husband wants to do the crack, he wants to do the meth, he wants to do the whiskey and all these things. So the Bible says, I got to submit to him, so I'm going to submit to him. And look what happens. Instead of husband going off into crazy town, what else happens? Wife goes off into crazy town. And if there's children involved, you know what else happens? The children get sucked into that lifestyle where the children now get, uh, go off into crazy town. And what happens? Where is obedience unto Jesus Christ? Where is obedience unto the better husband? It's very important to understand formula. We cannot forget that it is also written. So husband says, you know, in submission to Jesus, husband is in submission to Jesus. Praise be to the Lord. Wives, pray for your husbands. Pray hard for your husbands. Pray hard for your husbands because men today are under major, major, everybody's under attack, but husbands, major attack. Because Satan is destroying homes and he's very effective and he's taking casualties. But where are the fighters? Where are the warriors? That's what I want to know. I mean, when the husband is in submission to Jesus Christ, wives, it's safe for you to submit because in your husband, the formula is right. Just like we see with pastors. There are millions of pastors out there. 
But the Bible is explicitly clear which one is safe to submit yourself to. You see? And it's the same with husbands. When the formula is right in husband, a wife can safely submit to her husband. Children, when the formula is right in mama and papa, it is safe to submit to parents. But if husband is, you know, if you're a child and, you know, dad is crazy and does his, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll and, you know, whiskey, the whole nine yards and his Buddha and the Ouija boards and all kinds of the occult. And, you know, the wife says, well, you know, the Bible says that even if he doesn't obey the word that I'm going to submit to him. So, you know what? I'm going to do the Ouija boards, too. I'm going to do the Buddha as well. I'm going to do the whiskey as well, and I'm going to do the meth, and I'm going to go gambling, and, you know, I'm in submission to my husband, and I'm going to go off and do this, and, you know, the unnatural use of my body, and I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to submit to my husband, and look at the children, the children in total confusion, and God is not the author of confusion, you see, we cannot forget that it is also written. So husband says, hey, wife, give me my crack. Wife, you cannot do that. But if the husband says, you know what, wife, I, 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 want, I want cheeseburgers for dinner tonight. Well, you know, wife, you can safely submit to that. Because there's no, there, there's no offense to the higher authority. There's no offense unto Jesus. And husbands may not obey the word of God. But without saying anything, without saying anything, conduct can win your husband. You see? And just like our study last week in chapter 2, how Christian conduct can win the non-believer in their day of visitation in the home. Christian conduct can win the spouse. And, you know, children, Christian conduct can win mama and papa. And just like we say, wives pray hard for your parent, or for, or wives pray hard for uh, uh, for your husband. But at the same time, children pray hard for your parents. I mean, if you're among my younger brothers, younger sisters whom I love, pray hard for your parents. Pray for them, because there's a war for parents. There's a war on the family, and Satan is taking out husbands left and right. And when he takes out husbands left and right, who's next? Wife. You see? And when he takes out the wife, who's next? You, the children, my younger brothers, my younger sisters. But where are the warriors? I don't care if you're five years old. I don't care if you're eight years old. I don't care if you're 12. I mean, I care, but I meant warriors? Warriors come in all shapes and sizes. Seven-year-old warrior. 10-year-old warrior, 13-year-old warrior. There is, a, there is a war that is raging. And where are the warriors? You see? And keep in mind, too, how, you know, with, with Peter, when we look at last week in chapter 2, how Christian conduct can win a non-believer, but the same can happen in the home. Wife unto husband, husband unto wife, husband unto kids, wife unto kids. Kids unto parents, kids unto mama, kids under papa, unto papa. You know, it's it's so beautiful. 
And sometimes battlefields are in the home. There's the battlefield of the mind, but sometimes the, the battlefield in terms of being the salt and being the light. You know, we like to think like, okay, I want to be the salt and the light in my in my state. I want to be the salt and the light in my country. And I want to be the salt and light in my city. But hey, let's boil it down even closer. I want to be the salt. I want to be the light in my home. You see? And Satan is taking casualties left and right. But where are the warriors? I mean, it's one thing if Christians get married. It's one thing if Christians get married because, you know, the Bible says we're not to be unequally yoked. Do not be unequally yoked when Christians marry Christians. But in situations where non-believers are married and then the spouse becomes a believer... That's straight up war with the other spouse. It's straight up war. I mean, you take two non-believers who get married. And then in the course of time, you know, they're they're in the world and you know that they're they're dating in the world, they get married, they're in the world, and in the course of time, say the wife becomes a Christian. She goes to work, she has a Christian co-worker, they talk, they get pretty chummy. The co-worker gives her the good news, gives her the gospel. She thinks about it for a while. And all of a sudden, she's praying for the first time in her life. Never prayed before. She's praying for the first time in her life. And she receives, she repents, and she receives the Lord. She becomes a Christian. She gets baptized. And yeah, for her, it's beautiful. Praise be to the Lord. We have a new sister in Christ. But her home, that husband, those kids... It's going to be a straight-up war zone in her home. Because there's only one believer in the home, and that's the wife, a new Christian, a baby Christian. Now, in this situation, is divorce permissible? Well, you know, you know, I'm unequally yoked. You know, say, say the wife says in this example that we gave, that the wife says, well, I'm unequally yoked, and therefore I'm going to get a divorce. No, divorce is not permissible. Stay married. Because wife... You can win your husband to Christ by preaching the gospel without using words because you proclaim the good news by your conduct. You see? By your conduct. Good works. Remember? Remember our study in the book of James? We're not saved by works. We're saved for good works. And what does Brother James say works is? It's obedience unto Jesus. And just like we studied last week, how there is a day of visitation on the non-believer in your home. You can win your spouse. You can win your non-believing spouse. And sometimes war zones, you know, we like to think like, okay, I want to be the salt and the light in my city, in my state, in my country. And that's not a bad thing. It's beautiful. But when we boil it down and we see Wait a second. I want to I want to be the salt. I want to be the light in my own home. You see? This is something that we really have to understand because as we get further in the events of the last days, there will be casualties. Major major casualties as apostasy spreads, as apostasy gets worse. And don't forget the tribulation of 64 AD when Brother Peter is writing. 
You see? The perilous times of 64 AD. And the perilous times of our time, it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And we see how in verse 1, how without a word, the, the, the husband may be won by the conduct of their wives. In verse 2, when they observe or when they, in the Greek, translates as inspect, watch, and behold. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear or pure conduct. Purity. You see? Purity. And what is purity? It is obedience to the word of God and the accompaniment of fear. Remember, we fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I'm going to tell you something with a whole lot of shame. This is something that I experienced with my wife. The Lord stopped me. The Lord stopped me. I was in the act of murder. I was millimeters away from my wife. And I hit a brick wall. And that brick wall was the Lord. I tell you this with total shame. I don't like speaking about these things. Because I hate it. I hate that guy. I hate who I used to be. And my conduct in those days was violence. And I don't want to gloss over it, but, you know, I was in an environment where extreme violence was nurtured and fostered. I meant to chomp at the bit, to kill. That's the environment that I was in. And I don't want to, it's not to make an excuse. There's no excuse. But that was a mindset that is not conducive to anywhere else except in that environment. Designed for warfare. Designed for combat, designed for battle, designed to kill and to win wars. And this is something my wife learned the hard way. And in this time, this was like 25 years ago, I was suicidal with failed suicide attempts. And it got to the point where this anger was rage. And I was in the very act of committing murder murder seconds away from completing the act of murder and i hit the brick wall of my wife's better husband capital h a brick wall and you know what he did he messed me up he messed me up and rightfully so thankfully so I was worthy of death. I I don't claim to know the mind of God. It's not something that, you know, that is, is broadcast, you know, but he should have killed me. My wickedness was very deep. 
But he didn't do that. He healed me. And I don't want anybody to come to Jesus the way that I did. Because it's a path that includes failed suicide attempts. But understand, especially for my sisters in Christ whom I love, I was won by the conduct of my wife. And her better husband, capital H, he wrecked shop on me. And I say this as with shame, but as a, a hardcore exhortation for my sisters in Christ who are married. I've had conversations with many wives and some are at wit's end with their unbelieving husbands. And, you know, I don't say this in jest, but part of me wants to laugh and part of me wants to cry. And for the same reason too, laugh because what is impossible for God? What is impossible for God? And cry because what is impossible for God? And wives who do not understand. Wives who look at the problem instead of looking to Jesus. Because, I mean, this is something that Peter experienced. Because Peter, when he looked at the problem, you know what happened to Peter? He ceased to walk on water. Jesus lifted him. But after he started to sink. And wives, I love you. But understand and know nothing, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. And I tell you, from experience. Nothing is impossible for God. When we look at verse 1, even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be, may be won by the conduct of their wives. And my wife's better husband, he messed me up. Hardcore, he messed me up. And when they observe in verse 2 your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. These are things that I observed in my wife. You see? And I hit the brick wall of Jesus Christ. And you know what he did? He hit back. And he hit hard. And I was humbled. Wives, 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 my beautiful sisters in Christ whom I love. Nothing is impossible for God. You see? And I've had these conversations with many wives before. Well, why aren't my prayers working? Well, go back and listen to our study in the book of James. Because remember, the formula must be right. There is a reason why people ask and receive not. There is also a reason why we say jump ship to those who are in fellowship where the formula is wrong. Because sometimes prayers aren't answered because a person is praying to the wrong Jesus. Remember Jesus, the disciples, they asked him, what are the signs of your last day? What are the signs of the, 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 the end of days and the time of your coming? And Jesus revealed, the real Jesus, whose word is above his name, he reveals there will be many Christs. 
you see? And when you know, when we know that his word is above his name, that's how you will know the real Jesus. Picture a lineup of a thousand Christs. One thousand Christs, a lineup. They all look the same. They dress the same. They have the same tone of voice. But they don't speak the same. Take a Jesus that says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. No, that's an unbiblical Jesus. Take a Jesus that says, hey, let's go grave soaking. Hey, you know, you lay on the grave and, go, you know, soak up the Holy Spirit from the dead people. No, that's another Jesus. Take a Jesus that says God is done with Israel. God's promises for Israel. They're all over. Now it's for the church. No, that's another Jesus. Take a Jesus that says, God wants you to be rich. And you know, if you tithe a hundred dollars, then God is going to give you a thousand dollars. No, that's a fake Jesus. His word is above his name. And that's how you will know. It's also how you'll know the false prophet, the false teacher, the wolves. Because they will align themselves with these other Christs. But the real Jesus, his word is above his name. And I've had these conversations with many women, married women. At wit's end with their husbands. And sometimes they go to churches where, oh, you know what, like church, oh, you know, oh, this is such a great sermon. This is such a great study, all these things. And I'm learning so much. I'm learning so much. It's like, wait a second. Did you know that that guy says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved? And then they get mad. Oh, how dare you say that? Oh, look, look. We'll play it for you. Look, it's right here. What spirit would say such a thing? By what spirit? By what spirit would a man say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved? It is not the Holy Spirit. It is another spirit. Remember the phobia that Paul had for the Christians? He says, I fear for you. I fear for you because you know what? The preacher guy is going to come in and you're going to submit to him. You're going to yield and submit yourself to the preacher guy. And the preacher guy comes in with another gospel, another Jesus, and another spirit. That's what, that's what, what, what Paul's phobia was. And it's happening today. When the formula is right. When the formula is right, put on your seatbelts. Put on your seatbelts because the Lord... He moves. He responds. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. I mean, you know, we, we see these beautiful promises. Remember in Deuteronomy, the, the, the farewell discourse of old man Moses? And he's, it's, it's a farewell discourse, but it's almost like a warning too. I mean, it's almost like a warning because it's, you know, he, Moses was pretty hardcore in telling the people. Remember in, in the in the in one chapter how you know I will not live, you know thus saith the Lord I will not leave you nor forsake you but in the same chapter I will leave you I will forsake you it's like whoa what happened 
in the same chapter? I will not leave you nor forsake you. And in the same chapter, I, chapter, I will forsake you. Why? Did the Lord change his mind? No, the people changed their heart. And this is something that old man Moses, he knew. And so old man Moses, he warns the people and says, listen, make sure you're close to the Lord. Make sure you're cheek to cheek with the Lord. Make sure you're, you have intimacy with the Lord. Make sure you honor the Lord. And this is something that Joshua second in command that he told the people, he says, choose for you this day whom you shall serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people, they say, hey, Joshua, we're on board. As for us, we're going to serve the Lord too. You turn the page. Hello, judges. What happened? You see? And people do evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember in the book of Judges? How many times do we see that? They do evil in the sight of the Lord. And they worship the Baals, the Asherahs, the Molechs. You think the Lord... Is the formula right? Do you think that with Baal, with Molech, with Asherah, when the formula is wrong? You don't see the effectuation of God's promises because the formula is wrong. So when the formula is wrong, you know what happens? Let's get you cleaned up. Old Testament, New Testament, and today. When the formula is wrong, let's get you cleaned up. You go to church where the pastor says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be safe. Hey, jump ship. You go to church where the pastor takes you grave soaking. Hey, jump ship. You go to church where the pastor teaches God's promises are done with is done for Israel and now it's to the church. Hey, jump ship. You go to the money preacher pastor. Hey, jump ship. Formula's wrong. Those fellowships, it's not safe. Those pastors, it's not safe to submit to. Wrong Jesus, wrong spirit. Wrong gospel. Because the real gospel, the real Jesus, the real spirit, everything is in accordance to the word of God. Genesis to Revelation. You see? And when his word is above his name, that's how you know. That's Jesus. That's the real Jesus. Very important. And husbands in observing this chaste conduct. Now remember, chaste conduct, that's a choice. That's a choice for a wife to make for herself. Chaste conduct accompanied by fear. What we see here in verse 2, that's a choice. Because husband wants to be crazy, wife, you can confront him in his craziness. But what is your husband observing? You know, does, does he observe you cussing him out? Does he observe you, you know, beating him on the head with the frying pan? What does he observe? Does he observe chast conduct? Does he observe holy conduct? You see? What, what, is your, what, what does the husband observe? What, what does your husband observe? To my sisters who are married. What does he observe? And it's very important to understand this pure conduct. is something that we learn from the word of God. In applying the word of God to our lives. Those are good works. Those are beautiful works. 
But today we have Christians who say, oh, we're not saved by works. Listen, we're not saved by works. Remember, we come to Jesus at 0%. And a lot of Christians just ended there. We're not saved by works. So, you know, we're okay. We're not saved by works. Hold on. Hold the phone there. It's true. We're not saved by works. But we are saved for good works. That's what the Bible says. We are saved for good works. So if we're not saved by works, remember, we come to Jesus at 0%, but we don't stay at 0%. We move on, you know, 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, 5%, all the way up to 99.9%. 100%, we're going to be dead. Wives, what is it that your husband observes in you? You see, is it pure? Is it chaste? Or does he observe you cussing him out? Does he observe you beating him on the head? What does he observe? Because without a word, remember verse one, without a word, with through chaste conduct, pure conduct, accompanied by fear, without a word, husband can be won by the conduct of the wife. You know how many women read verse 1 and 2 and say, this is impossible. Women, my sisters in Christ, who are married to unbelieving husbands, And the unbelieving husband is terrible in his conduct. But let's put him to the side for a minute. A minute, And let's remember the better husband, capital H, Jesus Christ. What's impossible for him? Let's be straight up. To my sisters who are married to the unbelieving husband. What's impossible for Jesus? And your husband can become... Believing by observing your pure conduct. And you know what? You don't have to say a word. You see? And a lot of women, the majority of women, this is impossible. I need to go to the psychiatrist. I need to go to the therapist. I need to go to the marriage counselor. I need to get counseling session after counseling session and see all, oh, you know, this in this church, there's a ministry for married couples, how to have a good marriage and this and that. And what about the Lord? What about Jesus? What about your better husband, capital H? What about him? You see, the formula has to be right. And sometimes people respond to me. People say like, oh, you know, you always talk about formula, formula, formula. And okay, we're done. We're so sick and tired of you talking about formula, formula, formula. But you know what? I'm not stopping. We're always going to speak about formula because it's got to be right. Because when the formula is right, when Christians, male, female, young, old, when saints can learn and understand all there is to know about formula. Put on your seatbelt. Put on your seatbelt. 
Because with good formula, right formula, now you have effectuation. And when we have effectuation, whew, sky's the limit. You see? And I tell you these things from experience. Because if I were to tell you about my conduct before I came to Christ, even as a baby Christian, it's like 25 years ago. If I were to tell you about my conduct, every single one of you would hate me. Every single one of you would hate me. Every single, maybe not every single one would say this, but a lot, the majority would say, there's no chance for this guy. This guy is going to hell for sure. But yet, I was one. You see? And then we see this in verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing the gold, or putting on fine apparel. Now, I completely understand this. I get that a woman wants to be beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. But let the Lord teach us what beauty is. Because the world has its idea of what beauty is. But so does the Bible. And I tell you the truth. To all my sisters listening, young and old, I tell you the truth. There is nothing more beautiful. There is nothing more gorgeous. There is nothing more ravishing. There is nothing more exquisite than righteousness. Nothing. Brother Peter, he says, do not let your adornment be merely outward. The arranging of the hair, the wearing the gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, in verse 4, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, the concealed, the secret, the private, the hidden person of the heart. It's the place where no man can tread except for one, the better husband, capital H, in your heart of hearts. It's the greatest love story ever told. My sisters in Christ, young, old, married, unmarried, the greatest love story ever told is your betrothal to the prince, who's already king of your heart. What is it that he determines as beautiful? Remember, the world defines beauty absolutely. The world has its definition of what beauty is. But the world is absolutely fading. What is it that the Prince of Peace, who's already king of your heart, what is it that he determines as beautiful? Because the, the world has its idea. The world says this is beautiful, this is beautiful, this is beautiful, this is beautiful. That's fine. That's nice. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. But what about the church? And we'll boil it down even further to my sisters in Christ, young and old. What about you? And in verse 4, we see it. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty. I love this so much. Incorruptible beauty. 
of a gentle and quiet spirit. You know what that is? It's humility. To be humble, peaceable, and still. I love that. A gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Translates in the Greek as extremely precious in the sight of God. You see, when Jesus defines beauty, when Jesus defines beauty, Remember the hidden person of the heart in verse 4 where no man treads except for one capital M, capital H, your better husband. In your heart of hearts to my sisters in Christ, when he defines beauty, the greatest love story, your love story, unto Jesus, the better husband, And when he defines beauty, we see no mention of wrinkles. We see no mention of love handles. We see no mention of makeup and the fake eyelashes and the shapewear or a certain look. We see no mention of that in the Bible. The world says it everywhere. Corinth is Corinth. The world is world. But surprise, the world is fading and the world will burn. When Jesus defines beauty, he tells us what is very precious to him. Where you can be wrinkly and exquisitely beautiful. You can be chubby and exquisitely beautiful. You can be in a wheelchair and exquisitely beautiful. You can be bald and exquisitely beautiful. And if a husband, according to the flesh, lowercase h, if he is blind to this, well, it's just a vapor. (laughs) It's just a vapor. Wives, pray for your husbands. Pray that they are not blind. But there's a lot of blind men today. I mean, there's a lot of blindness, point blank, but there's a lot of blind men. Enraptured by the world, enraptured by Corinth. Satan is very effective. You see? You can have the trifecta. You can be bald in a wheelchair and chubby and still exquisitely beautiful. Because the Prince of Peace, King of your heart, in the hidden person of your heart, my beautiful sister, married or unmarried, the better husband, capital H, and the hidden person of the heart where only he is, you and him. Remember the cheek to cheek? Let him define beauty. Let him divine beauty. You see? And so we look at verse 5. For in this manner in former times, the holy women. Remember, we're not talking about women in general. I mean, women are everywhere. We're not talking about women in general. We're not talking about run-of-the-mill women. Those, they're everywhere. Dime a dozen. They're everywhere. 
and they're vast. And they can be found everywhere and seen everywhere. We're not talking about them. We're talking about holy women. Holy women. Hagios in the Greek, which means sacred, pure, blameless, consecrated, holy, a saint. We're not talking about the dime a dozen. We're talking about holy women. And in former times, the holy women who trusted God also adorned themselves. You see, this holy adorning is shared among those holy. The world can define beauty all it wants. But rather than define, you know what the world's beauty does? It defiles. Incorruptible beauty is only found in the Word of God. And these holy women of former times who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Remember, not to men, to their own husbands. You see? In verse 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, notice lowercase l, not the Lord, capital L, no. That would be blasphemy. That would be idolatry. No, lowercase l. Just like we have husband, lowercase h, and then we have husband, uppercase h, the Lord. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are. You see? How can a woman be a daughter of Abraham? But by faith. But by faith. I mean, here we are. We're at the close of 2022. How, how, can, how can a woman be a daughter of Abraham? When Abraham was thousands of years ago. But by faith. And as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if, if you do good, if you do good. Remember, faith, package deal, package deal. Remember, you and me getting hamburgers, package deal. Go back and listen to our study in the book of James. You'll know everything we're talking about. If you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So verse 6 says, no fear. No fear, you know, and are not afraid with any terror. But verse 2 says fear. Is, 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 has, is Peter off his rocker? Because the non-believer, the mocker, oh, contradiction, contradiction, because verse 6 says no fear, verse 2 says fear, contradiction, no. Fear no man. But we fear God. You see? And to my sisters in Christ and wives whom I love without a word, without a word, you can win your husbands to Christ. And I tell you from experience, when I hit the brick wall of Jesus Christ, my wife's better husband 
and he hits back and he hits hard and he humbled me and he also showed me mercy he showed me grace he showed me his love you might be in a situation and i've had these conversations with wives who are at going just crazy they're at wit's end And in the perilous times of Peter's day in 64 AD, picture that, how the world culture was so anti-Christ, anti-Christian. And picture a couple, they're against Christ, they're anti-Christ, anti-Christian, and then the wife becomes a Christian. The wife, in her day of visitation, she becomes a Christian. Picture what that home would look like. Picture a husband and wife. They're non-believers. And they go to the games. They go to the games for their entertainment. Oh, it's Friday night. We're going to, you know... A dinner and a show. They go out to get something to eat. They go to the arena. They get, you know, they sit in their seats. They pay good money. They got, you know, front row seats. And they peer into the arena and they see Christians. And then they mock and they laugh. Making fun, throwing stuff at the Christians. There's an old lady. Oh, look, I'm going to take her out. The guy picks up a rock, throws it, hits her in the leg, and the old lady falls, and the crowd cheers. And that's their entertainment. Dinner and a show, and that's their show. And then they see the old lady, and they laugh, and they, they're just cheering. It's their entertainment. And they say, oh, you know what? She's going to get eaten first when they let out the bears. And they're cheering, they're laughing, they let out the bears. And sure enough, the old lady who can't run because her leg is busted up because of the big rock that the husband threw. Sure enough, she gets eaten alive. You hear her screams of terror. You see? Husband and wife, they have their entertainment that night. They go home. They go to sleep. The next day in the square, the lady's picking up some groceries. She's getting something to eat. She's going to prepare a meal. And she encounters a Christian who shows her love. Who shows her mercy. Who shows her grace. She doesn't realize that it's a Christian that she's talking to. But she's taken aback like, whoa, this, this lady is quite, quite a piece of work. There's something different about this lady. And they hit it off. They become even more friendly. And a week later, after, you know, a couple visits, this lady who she was talking to 
reveals that she's a Christian. And she tells her about Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, this lady, the one who was at the games just last week laughing at the murder and the death of Christians and the old lady who was eating, she could hear the bones crunch and she could hear the screams. Front row seats. All of a sudden, she feels the pain. She feels the the guilt. She feels the remorse. She feels the sorrow at her own behavior. She's cut to the heart. And she says to this new friend of hers, what do I do? I feel like dirt. What do I do? And she says, repent. Receive Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Receive the Holy Spirit. And she does exactly that. And as believers, as New Covenant believers, we hear this story and we're like, wow, this is so beautiful. She came to Christ. Listen, we have another sister in Christ. And yes, it's beautiful. But now this new believer, now she's got to go home. She's got a husband to deal with. And just last week, they were hooting and hollering at the dead Christians. It's Friday night. Husband says, hey, you know, hey, what do you say? What do you think about dinner and a movie? Just like we did last week. What do you think about dinner and a movie? Front row seats again. We can hear the crunches. We can hear the screaming. And now the lady is terrified. Now she starts to weep. Picture what that home life would be like. You have a believing wife. And remember, she's a baby Christian. A baby Christian on the front lines of war in her own home. Picture that. You see? And Peter, inspired of the Spirit, writing this letter. Even if some husbands do not obey the word, they... Without a word. Baby Christian. Baby Christian, she doesn't have to say a word. But she can win her husband by the conduct of her. When he observed the chaste conduct, the purity, accompanied by fear, not fear, it's not fear of men, it's fear of the Lord. You see? So husband says, hey, you know, what do you think about dinner and a movie? Let's go hear the crunchy, crunchy again. And wife says, no. We can go out to dinner, but no, I'm not. No, no, no entertainment like we used to. And the husband just chalks it off. Okay, maybe she just wants to go to bed early, you know, whatever. So we'll go get something to eat. You see? But slowly in the course of time, he notices there's something different about her. And not just something different. The love that she has, it changes because now her love is no longer worldly. It's of the Lord. And the work of the Lord that he is doing inside of her, she came to Jesus at 0%. When she was at the grocery store with the Christian lady, 
0%. When she was cut to the heart, 0%. A week later, she's at 1%, maybe 2%, 3%. And in the course of time, she's at 4%, 5%, 6%. And now fruit is starting to show. And the husband can taste it. He can't see it with his eyes, but he knows something's different. He too will have a day of visitation. Just like we studied last week. He too will have a day of visitation. And wife is preparing him for that day. Without saying a word by her very conduct. And that kind of beauty is very precious in the sight of our Lord. You see the shapewear that we have today. Shapewear, eyelashes, you know, and this, and everybody wants this. I can't let my love handle show, so I gotta wear this tight thing so it, you know, hugs this, this, this. Gotta look like this. Gotta, you know, I turn on the TV, see this reality show, I gotta look like that. When you understand what the Word of God says, you see that, and it's like, that's, it's cheap. It's cheap, it's ugly, it's yucky, it's nasty. But when you have a different set of eyes, eyes to see, and a different heart, you start to see, wait a second, that humility, that gentle and quiet spirit, what kind of beauty is this? It's not of this world. It's heavenly. It's of the Lord. You see? And a lot of married women today, Christians, my beautiful sisters in Christ, just like the example we gave where the non-believing couple and then the women, the wife is a believer. This is going to happen even a greater degree in the last days. Because wives, I don't know what it is about women. They have certain sensitivities that men do not have. I mean, some would attribute that to the, the fall. I meant, you know, Adam and Eve, some would attribute it to that and the aftermath of that, which is, I get, I understand. But you hear us speak about frequency. Remember, you know, we got to listen to classical music on, you know, 93.3. We got to listen to the classical music. And I don't know what it is, but instead, you know, a lot of men are like, you know, 107, you know, they're far away from 93, but a lot of women are like at 95. 94. They're close to 93.3 because of certain sensitivities. And a lot of men are like 107, 106. Now, we want everybody to be at 93.3. We want everybody to be on the right frequency. But born into Adam, that doesn't happen. Born again into Christ, it happens. But through these sensitivities, a wife is just like one little turn of the knob, like, bing, and 
The husband, you gotta turn the knob like many times, you know, over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And then finally, 93.3. And we want everybody to be 93.3. But born into Adam, it doesn't happen that way. But through sensitivities, a lot of women, and it's already happening. Women who come to Christ, who come to Jesus, and praise be to the Lord. And when this happens, the battlefield, it's in the own home. It's in your home. And we look at 1 Peter 3. And we see the blueprints for spiritual warfare in your own home to win husband. You see? But a lot of women are at 94, 95. Even Christians, you know, we want to be at 93.3, but some Christians are at, you know, 94.1 or 93.9, where you can hear a little bit, but it's still kind of scratchy. No, 93.3, boom. Now we can hear clearly. And hearing clearly, now there's another step. What will we do? What are the acts? You see? And remember, obedience is better than the fat of rams. Wives, you think it's impossible for your husband to come to Christ to be a believer? Nothing is impossible for the Lord. You can win your husband. But you got to fight. Fight the good fight. And the word of God teaches us and shows us how. How do we fight the good fight? In, for wise, with unbelieving husband, how do we fight the good fight? Well, we've been looking at it today. Verse 1 through 6, that's how. The blueprints are right here. You see? Now on to husbands. Verse 7. Husbands, 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 husbands. I love you, I love you, I love you. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. The weaker vessel. Yes, the wife is the weaker vessel, but this isn't defined carnally. This is not <clears throat> defined carnally. If I were to invite every single one of you, if I were to invite every single one of you over for dinner for my world-class spaghetti, and I don't mean to brag, but it's pretty slamming, but... What I would do is I would, I would put it in my cast iron, well, not cast iron, but it's an iron pot. I would put it in my iron pot and I'd probably give you a paper plate <laughs> and we'd dig in and, you know, we'd love it. We'd have good fellowship too, but the food would be pretty slamming. World, world-class spaghetti. But if my wife were to have you over for dinner, she wouldn't be so barbaric. She'd use the nice plates. She'd have the nice glasses to drink out of. Me, I forgot about it. You know, I, I you know, we're, we're, you know, we're not eating any, we're not drinking anything. I, I, I forgot. I, we're just spaghetti. Paper plates. My pot. 
But with her, no, she'd be nice and presentable. Nice glasses to drink out of, and she definitely wouldn't use my iron pot. She'd use her nice decorative glass bowl. This glass bowl can hold the exact, exact same contents as my iron pot. Would still enjoy the same world-class spaghetti. But the bowl that she uses has fragility. Can still hold the same amount of spaghetti. We're still gonna, you know, reach in and grab the spaghetti with the little, the little uh, tongs, and you know, grab the spaghetti, put it on our plate, and boom, we're eating. But in her case, she would use the glass bowl. That's fragile. My cast iron pot. Well, iron pot. You can throw it across the street and it'll be fine. You can throw it high into the air and it might get a little dent. That's it. But the glass bowl, it can hold the exact same contents of my pot. It can still hold the spaghetti. And we're still going to have a nice meal out of that glass bowl. But it cannot be thrown. It must be handled with care. Because it is more fragile. If thrown, it can shatter and become broken. Why? Because it is the weaker vessel. And that's what Brother Peter is writing about. Inspired of the Spirit, husbands, 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 I love you. Brother Peter says this, dwell with your wife with understanding, giving her honor. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Just like, you know, I got my iron pot and, you know, there's the glass bowl. They can hold the same. We're going to have a good meal. But one must be dealt with fragility. Because it can break. The pot, no, you can you know, go up on a skyscraper, drop it. It's going to be fine. A little dent here, dent there. That's no, fine. But the glass will shatter. It must be treated with care. And we see in verse 7, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, just like we see the daughters of Abraham in the previous verses, there are also sons of Abraham. You see, same means. It's by faith in Jesus. And it's not to deify Abraham, but just as Jacob bowed to Joseph, so Abraham bows to Jesus. Do you know what this means? To my brothers and sisters in Christ, married and unmarried, do you know what this means? Many, many moons ago, when Abraham was in the desert, he had no kids. His wife, he, him and his wife are old. They have no kids and his wife is barren. The Lord points to the sky and tells Abraham that his heirs will be no, more numerous than the stars. And because of our faith in Jesus, because of your faith in Jesus, the Lord was showing Abraham you. You. 
you see? You in the Old Testament? You in Genesis? Yep, that's what I'm saying. Daniel 12, verse 3, those who are wise shall, shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Let us remember these things, these truths. Heirs of Abraham by faith in Christ, male, female, our faith is in Jesus Christ. And with that comes the effectuation of this family. Not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And to husbands, brother Peter, in spite of the spirit, gives this strong urging, exhortation, in some cases, warning to husbands. And in verse 7, you know the reason? That your prayers may not be hindered. I mean, of course, to honor the Lord. But notice that your prayers may not be hindered. You know how that translates? That your prayer may not be cut off. Husbands, 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 I love you, my beautiful brothers in Christ. If you drop, toss, or throw that glass bowl that is delicate, you will cause damage to it. And I speak of your wife, if you are married. You will cause damage. She is delicate, but you don't treat her as she is delicate. And you will cause damage, but something else happens. Your prayers will be cut off. Your prayers will be lost in the wind. If you do not honor your wife, if you deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. And sometimes, let me tell you something, men, I love you, I love you, I love you. Husbands, I love you. But sometimes I see mean husbands. Mean husbands. And they claim to be Christian, but you know, proof is in the pudding. I see mean husbands. They claim to be Christian, but their behavior proves otherwise in how they treat their wives. And sometimes these husbands speak Christianese. Oh, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that, and wife, you have to submit to me. But let me tell you something. When there's no honor given unto the wife, unto the weaker vessel. Your prayers are hindered. Your prayers are cut off. Your prayers fly in the wind. So let me ask you something, O oh husbands whom I love. To whose voice do you listen to, O oh husband? Oh, the Lord told me this. The Lord told me that. The Lord is guiding here. The Lord is guiding there. This is what the Lord wants. This is what the Lord. By your own behavior, knowing that your prayers are hindered in how you dishonor the weaker vessel, speaking of your wife. 
whose voice is it that you heed, O husband? Why is one of Adam? Who? We have to be straight up. We are in the last days. The days are growing darker and darker and darker. And Christians are asleep. We got to wake up. I don't want your prayers to be hindered, men. Husbands, I love you. I don't want your prayers to be hindered. I don't want your prayers to fly in the wind. I want your prayers to be heard. I want your prayers to be answered. You have to honor your wife. The wife of your youth. You say, well, you know, my wife is old. She's chubby. She's wrinkly. I don't want to honor. Hey, I don't care. The Bible says wife of your youth. A lot of men let the world define beauty. Just like a lot of women let the world define beauty, men let the world define beauty. And the beauty that the world has to offer, that's an abomination. It's cheap. It's ugly. It's disgusting. It's nasty. It is wicked. You see? We need a new set of eyes. Eyes to see. A new set of ears. Ears that can hear. A new heart, a new mind. And these are things that the Lord gives. Gives, he gives. Ask and you shall receive, he gives. And it's so beautiful. You see, it's so easy, but it's intricate. Remember the Lord says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't say, okay, you know, walk with me and you know, you have to be a trigonometry expert. Walk with me and you have to know calculus and statistics. No. It's easier than one plus one. But it's very intricate, our walk with the Lord. Paul, what Paul says, you know, you know, his recommendation, you know, I, I recommend that you stay single, but, you know, just a recommendation. It's not the law. He's not laying it out. He's just giving a recommendation. But for the married to live as though they are unmarried, a whole lot of death is required for that. A whole lot of death. You know what that is? Crucifixion. Reckoning the old man dead. Reckoning the old woman dead. And we start to see how everything aligns. What Peter writes about aligns perfectly with what Paul writes about. Which aligns perfectly to what Jeremiah writes about and what Isaiah write about. Why? Same Lord, same spirit. Remember the dominoes from a couple weeks ago? All these things put in motion many, many, many moons ago, the things which angels peer into. You see? And so we see here in verse 8, finally, all of you, remember, this is the diaspora of Peter's day where saints were fleeing to what, what was presumed to be safe. And Peter, he's teaching them about a better Safety, because it's a safety of the soul. 
And he says in verse 8, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Now, these attributes can be taught in word and conduct. But choosing to live godly, that's a choice that every single person must make for himself or herself. Young, old, I don't care. I mean, I care, but you can be five years old, you have to make this choice. You can be 50 years old, you have to make the choice. You can be 100 years old, you have to make the choice. Is it being tenderhearted? That can't be mandated. You can't mandate somebody to be tenderhearted. You can't coerce a person to be tenderhearted because a person must give their heart to Jesus. He, he can do it. You and me, we cannot. I can't make you be tenderhearted. You can't make me be tenderhearted. We can't do it to anybody, only Jesus. But you and me, we can pave the way for their day of visitation by good works. You see, by good works. What James wrote about aligns perfectly to what Peter's writing about. Aligns perfectly to what Paul wrote about. You see, same spirit. Good works. We're not saved by works. We're saved for good works. Can you see how beautiful he is, our Lord? Can you see how beautiful he is, the wonder of his ways? Can you see? You can't mandate tenderheartedness, but the Lord can make a heart tender. You see? We see in verse 9, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Remember, the cost of being a Christian in Peter's day, in this latter part of Peter's day in 64 AD, it's life-threatening, the cost of being a Christian. And he's writing about returning evil for evil, don't do that. Reviling for reviling, don't do that. On the contrary blessing what blessing on the contrary blessing knowing that you were called to this that you may inherit a blessing remember paul in the thessalonian letters something we mentioned last week regarding trials and tribulations we were made for this we were made for this Under the same spirit, remember the dominoes, things that angels speak into, the same spirit that said to Paul is the same spirit that is telling Peter. Paul, tell the saints. Peter, tell the saints. To remind the saints of the inheritance that awaits them. Remember our study in the Old Testament about inheritance? Don't forget you and me, we have an inheritance. Brother Peter says, don't return evil for evil. Don't return reviling for reviling. Just the opposite, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this. That you may inherit a blessing for, in verse 10, 
He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Remember our study in James? You see, everything aligns. Everything fits perfectly. What James writes, what Peter writes, what Paul writes, what Mark writes, what, what John writes, what Jesus said, what Isaiah writes, what Moses wrote, what Amos writes, everything aligns perfectly. Triangle the triangle, square in the square, rectangle in the rectangle, trapezoid in the trapezoid, circle in the circle, and, you know, all shapes in their appropriate place. I ran out of shapes. Everything fits perfectly. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. In verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Do good. Let us not be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. Let him seek peace and pursue it. See, does pursuing peace mean that it's forever elusive? Not at all. Not at all. But understand that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. Satan. Lucifer Beelzebub, who was a murderer from the beginning. And the devil roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. We do have an enemy. And he's very effective. He tries very hard for us not to have peace. In this life, at least. And yet we seek peace and pursue it. In verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. You see? Righteousness. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. When the formula is right in you. The eyes of the Lord are on you. And when the formula is right in you, his ears are open to your prayers. We stress formula, 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 formula for a reason. But the face of the Lord is, is against those who do evil. You see, the ball is in everyone's court. Every single person has a choice to make. You might be five, you might be 50, you might be 100, or anywhere in between. You have a choice to make. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. You're a believer, praise be to the Lord. You're a believer, but you're lukewarm. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you right here, right now, point blank, you commit your life to Jesus Christ. Recommit your life to Jesus Christ. You're not a believer. You hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. And then you come back and you listen and we grow together. We mature together. Onward to paradise, we like to say. You know why? Because that's where we're going. In verse 13, and who is he who will harm you? 
if you become followers of what is good. You see, there is both a spiritual safety and a physical safety for the believer. And where physical safety dwindles, now dispensation becomes a factor as well because it's a precursory sign to judgment. I mean, in our study in the book of Judges, our Wednesday studies, when there are oppressors of Israel, it's because they were doing wickedness in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord. You see? Cause and effect. The Lord is reactionary. But understand, too, that there is also judgment. Look at the judgment that comes upon the oppressors of Israel. Because when physical safety dissipates, it, is a, it happens for a reason, but it is a precursory sign to judgment. One might ask, where's the, where's the judgment of 64 A.D.? And I'll ask, I'll answer with an ask. (laughs) I'll answer with a question of my own. Where is Caesar? Where's Caesar? I mean, if, if everyone listening today could gather in fellowship physically, in one location physically, number one, I would love it. I would love it. But let's say, for example, it's 1950 in San Francisco, California, the United States of America. And it's 1950 in San Francisco. We would fellowship. We would fellowship and we would have no problems with our surroundings, with our neighbors around us. No problem whatsoever. Everything would be fine. In fact, we would be well liked by our neighbors in 1950. We stand on the rock. It's 1950, San Francisco. We stand on the rock. But meanwhile, something else is happening. The tides of culture crash against everything that is not on the rock. 1950, everything's fine. 1960, things start to change. 1970, more change. I mean, it's noticed. 1960 was noticeable. 1970, more change. The 80s, the 90s, 2000, things are way different where the neighbors now, they have bars on their windows. Now we are no longer liked. 2010, we're hated. 2020, now it's dangerous for us. You see, in 1950, look at verse 13. And... Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Now, in this example we gave, 1950, verse 13 would be comforting. Very comforting. You know, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? You know, we walk outside, nobody throws rocks at us. Nobody ridicules us, nobody threatens us, nobody beats us up, nobody wants to burn our church down. Nobody. It's 1950, everything's fine. San Francisco. Verse 13, yeah, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But, but, 2020, 
2020? Verse 13 is a jolt. Verse 13 is a jolt because it doesn't match experience. It doesn't match experience. But understand something. That's not unusual. Because what Jeremiah spoke didn't match experience either. To Judah. Until Judah was destroyed. You see. As one body, there is something else that must be understood. We are one body. We are one body. Today, there are saints who meet in secret. They have to meet underground. Because the cost of being a believer in Tehran is very costly. The cost of being a believer in Pyongyang is very costly. But there are also believers in Boca, Montecito, Kensington, Milan. But we're still one body. We're still one body. I meant when it's hot outside, the, the, the intense summer heat, you're on the street barefoot and you're in pain because you're barefoot on the concrete and it's hot. Your hand isn't on the pavement. Your ear isn't on the pavement. Your knee isn't on the pavement. Your nose isn't on the pavement. Your feet are on the pavement. Yet the whole body feels pain. This is something that the church has to understand in the last days. As Satan attempts to isolate Christians. And he is effective. But we're still one body with many parts. And Satan tries to pit the rich against the poor. And he's very effective. Remember our study in James 5? For you rich brothers and sisters in Christ, I love you. But if you're rich, in accordance to what the world says is rich, go and listen to our study in James 5. Very important. We're one body with many parts. And just like the example we gave where it's hot out and you're, in, you're, you're standing on the pavement barefoot, your hands aren't touching the pavement. Your ears aren't to the pavement. Neither is your nose but the whole body feels pain. And the whole body responds. Well, not the whole body, but in essence, the whole body can, but the knees, they start to move with the hips and they begin to move to the shade. You see, where it is no longer hot to the feet. And then the hand turns the spigot and the hand directs the hose to quickly cool the burning feet. The hands move the hose over to the head where the cool water soothes the nose and the ears. You see, one body, each part working together as one. And how much more with the body of Christ? How much more with the body of Christ in times of peril?
Look at verse 14. I mean, verse 13, who is he will harm you if you become followers of what is good. And that is very reassuring. But then we have to look at 1950 San Francisco and 19 or 2020 San Francisco. Does that mean the assurance is gone in 2020 where the insurance was clearly there in 1950? Is the assurance gone in 2020? No, the assurance is still there. The assurance is still there. And Brother Peter says this in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Do not, and do not be afraid of their threats nor troubled, he says in verse 14, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. You see, remember the inner chamber where no man dwells except for one, that's Jesus. Do you remember our study in the book of Acts? When the saints were telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. You know what happened? Paul went to Jerusalem. But my question to you is this. Where were the red letters? You see? This has nothing to do with an outward appearance of what is presumed to be holy. No way. This is deeper. This is real holiness. Holiness and consecration of heart. True circumcision. Real circumcision. And Brother Peter says in verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense. Always be ready to give a defense. A perpetual state of readiness. Always ready. And this resonates well with veterans. Veterans, a constant state of readiness. Something that you have lived, you have experienced. Understand that precursory to the state of readiness is training and equipping. Of course, appropriate to the level of growth. You know, when Peter gave a defense, it was quite extensive. Same with Paul. Even more extensive. Remember Peter, when he says of Paul, he says, hey, listen to Paul, he knows his stuff. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of what he says. When Peter gave a defense, it was extensive. When Paul gave a defense, it was even more extensive. But do you remember the blind fellow? The blind fellow who our Lord made see? The religious leaders, they were adamant. They were adamant that he was in sin. And so the religious leaders, they came against him and his parents and the formerly blind, the blind guy, the, 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 the guy who could see, but the formerly blind, he said, look, man, well, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, listen, remember, he doesn't have the, the degrees of theology. He doesn't have the, the, he's, he's not among the learned class, but he says, listen, all I know is that I was blind. But now I see. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. He gave a defense. He didn't understand the, the depths of theology involved of what happened. All he knew was that he was blind. 
But now he sees. Just like the wife who comes to Christ in the earlier example. She's not going to, you know, sit down with her husband and give a big, you know, dissertation on theology. And come here, husband, sit down. Let's open up our Bibles and let me give you a nice class. Again, a nice period of instruction so that you can understand why I'm a Christian and this and that. And no, she's a baby Christian herself. She doesn't understand that depth of knowledge, but sometimes the depth of knowledge is not well received among the unlearned. I mean, you teach trigonometry. In, in university, you teach trigonometry. You teach calculus in, in, in university, you know, uh, you know the, the higher learning. You teach calculus. It's understandable. It's, you know, higher learning. It's university. Everybody has a, you know, there are prerequisites to calculus. In order to be in calculus class, you have the prerequisites and boom, you're ready to receive calculus. But you take calculus and you attempt to teach calculus to preschoolers? No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't match. And a lot of wives get into trouble here. Because you have believing wife, unbelieving husband. And the believing wife, with the best of intentions, wanting the husband to understand the word of God. That's not a bad desire. That's a beautiful desire. But it's the same thing as like teaching calculus to a preschooler. And in some cases, you know, you might think you know calculus when really you just know arithmetic. Especially in the case of a new believer. You see, when... When Peter gave a defense, it was extensive. When Paul gave a defense, it was even more extensive. But the blind guy, he just says, look, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. Boom, that's it. He, his extent of knowledge wasn't like Peter, wasn't like Paul. But it was for him. You see? Now, you know, two years later, he won't say, you know, all I know is that I was blind, but now I see. Because now he can put some more meat to it. More meat and potatoes, so to speak. But a lot of times, baby Christians, they want to, like, start teaching calculus. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold the phone. It doesn't work that way. You see? In this state of readiness, it's appropriate to the age in Christ. And when I say age in Christ, I'm talking about, you know, time walking with Christ. I'm not talking, you know, there are 50-year-olds who are babies. Because a 50-year-old who comes to Christ is a spiritual baby. But a 20-year-old who's been walking with the Lord for 15 years, that is not a baby. You see? And always be ready to give a defense. We see it in Peter. We see it more extensively with Paul. But we also see the effectiveness with the blind guy. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. And Brother Peter says in verse 15, to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
with meekness and fear. I love that. Humility and fear. You see, when pastors teach the flock of God to fight according to the wrong covenant, which is very popular today, especially against government. Do you think non-believers will ask anything of the Christian? Do you think a non-believer will ask, what's the reason for the hope that is in you? Do you think they'll ask when they hear of Christians, oh, you know, you're going to burn in hell, you're, you're predestined for hell. Do you think the non-believer will want to ask anything of us? And it's kind of crazy, but I'm going to tell you several experiences where I've had Satanists Satanists, they tell me how much they hate Christians, how much they hate Christians, and they're pretty descriptive and colorful with their words. But then they say something. They say, you're different. You're different. That's what they say to me. And I don't say this in any type of braggadocious manner, but I say it to teach you and to show you. And these Satanists, I hate Christians, they tell me. Very colorful with their words. But then they say, but you're different. And these conversations that I've had with the Satanists, they're actually quite beautiful conversations. The kind where, you know, I could sit for days on end with them and just talk and laugh and cry even. And I've had the Satanists tell me, I hate Christians so much, but you're different. We speak about certain things. And then they tell me this. If you're ever in trouble, I will help you. The Satanists. If you're ever in trouble, I will help you. I mean, granted, you know, some have told me that, you know, they want to kill me. But there are some whose hearts are softening. And I pray for them. And I pray for them and I pray for their day of visitation. And I pray for their day of visitation that when that day comes the scales from their eyes will fall. That's real warfare. That's the good fight. That's the good fight. That's fighting according to the spirit. You see? And Peter is teaching the saints about this. During the perilous times of 64 AD, Brother Peter, inspired of the Lord, is telling the saints, listen, who remember the, the diaspora. They're fleeing to safety, but Brother Peter is teaching them on a different kind of safety, one of the Spirit. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, he says in verse 15, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and in, with meekness and fear. Verse 16, having a good conscience, having a good conscience that 
when they defame you as evildoers, when? When, when, when? You see, when the non-believer says he or she hates Christians, they will always give a reason. They're not afraid to give a reason why they hate Christians. And sometimes it's really painful what they say because they say, I hate Christians. You know why? Because a pastor molested my niece. I hate Christians because this Christian guy beat up my uncle, left him bloody on the parking lot. I hate Christians because this Christian extorted me out of money. I hate Christian because this Christian raped me. I hate Christians because this pastor got addicted to meth. This pastor got me addicted to meth. Christians, 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 Christians. Let me tell you something. I love you, saints. We cannot call this defamation at all. You know why? Because it's true. It's true. When the non-believer says they hate Christians because the pastor did something sexual, I hate Christians because the pastor, you know, beat this guy up. I hate Christians because this guy raped me. I hate Christians because, you know, he got, he, he got you know, my, my son addicted to meth. And that's why I hate Christians. We cannot call that defamation. Because what they say is true. Christians can become evildoers. And when that happens, they do not have a good conscience. Because the inner man, the inner woman, is filthy, unclean, not crucified, not reckoned dead. The old man, the old woman is still alive, alive and well, still kicking and kicking hard. But... When the formula is right in you, anybody can defame you all they want, and they will. But your conscience is pure before the Lord. You see? And don't be surprised when the defamers, the ones who defame you, don't be surprised when they're Christians. I mean, look at beautiful Chloe. Look at beautiful Chloe. Picture, I'm so in love with Chloe. Picture that difficulty of Chloe. Oh, Chloe, you're so stupid. Why are you going to listen to Paul, Chloe? Come on, we're supposed to be one body, Chloe. Do not forsake the assembly of the saints, Chloe. You see? When the leaven, no, by their actions, by their behaviors, by their deeds... They forsake the assembly of the saints. Onesiphorus, you're so stupid. Why are you going to listen to Paul? Look, Pastor Alexander is way better. Pastor Himenaeus, he's, ways, he's way better. You see? Now, if you're listening for, for the first time, go back and listen to our studies through 1 Corinthians and all the way up to James. You'll understand more. The pastoral epistles, you'll understand more. 
Don't be surprised when defamation comes from the body. When defamation comes from the believer. You see? Sometimes Christians say, well, you know, if that's really the case, then they're really not a believer. They, they never really believed. But I disagree. Because when you understand that belief is a package deal, you see what's really at play. Go back and listen to our study in James. Go back and listen to our study in Hebrews and you'll understand more. You see? Very important. We're in the last days and we have to understand what the Bible says because the Bible has the blueprints for us. And so we see in verse 16, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. You see, and I don't want to sound selfish at all in saying this, but what's better? Them being ashamed or you? <laughs> and I don't want to be selfish in any way, shape or form. But I also don't want any of us to be ashamed. There's something beautiful about shame too. When the shame isn't on you, but it's on the non-believer. There's something so beautiful about shame. Shame has the innate ability to humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see? And these are things that I tell you from experience. For God resisted me. And then I met the brick wall of Jesus Christ, my wife's better husband. And God gives grace to the humble. When believers fight according to the flesh, the proud become more proud and salt loses its flavor. But when the saint fights according to the spirit, the humble become more humble and salt keeps its flavor. You see? And in verse 17, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's very important for us to remember that God, he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. You see? And yes, the days will grow even more perilous. But the very fact that you and me believe for such a time as this, it should be a wake-up call, number one. But number two, a wake-up call with great comfort to have the holy covering of his word for such a time as this. You see, they will defame you as evildoers, but your conscience can be pure. And the shame will come upon them, not upon you. When the formula is right in you, the shame won't be on you. You're innocent before the Lord, but it will be on them. And when the shame is on them, even that is a good thing. You know why? Because it helps a person with humility. It humbles a person. 
for the day of visitation. And so we see in verse 18, in closing, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Him for you. Him for you. Him for me. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Verse 19, by whom by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. And this translates as proclaimed to those under guard. And these are souls of the disobedient from the days of Noah. Because remember, the dead, the dead no longer disbelieve. The dead no longer disbelieve. It's just that for them, it's too late. There are no atheists in hell. They absolutely believe, but it's too late. You see, when David came back from war with foreskins of the dead, and I've heard pastors, men, 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 men. I've heard pastors teach, well, you know, he came back with the foreskins to emasculate the enemy, to send a message. No, no, no. These guys have no business at the pulpit. The foreskins of the dead. It's because the dead are no longer unbelievers. They are circumcised. But it's too late. It's too late. And we see in verse 20. Who formerly were disobedient when... Once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. You see, God was long-suffering then. He's long-suffering now. He never changes. He never changes. And brother Peter, inspired of the Spirit. Now, Peter, he wasn't there in the days of Noah. Peter wasn't there. The same way you and me are not in the days of Peter. Peter, he was not in the days of Noah. But you know who was? The Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord is revealing this to Peter, who penned it down, wrote it down on parchment, and here we are. It was reproduced. You know, we teach out of the New King James Version, but very often we refer to Hebrew, we refer to Greek, we refer to Aramaic. Why? Because we want the original text. And the same Spirit... The same spirit that was at creation. The same spirit that was in the days of Noah. The same spirit that was in the days of Peter. The same spirit that's with you in these days. Reveals to Peter about the divine long-suffering. The long-suffering of our Lord. Who was long-suffering then and he's still long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish. But in the days of Noah, in verse 20, while the ark was being prepared. This is Noah. Remember, a preacher of righteousness was given very specific blueprints. Picture all the people that ridiculed him. Building an ark. Hey, Noah, the water's way over there, you dummy. You're building an ark. And you want us to come aboard? For what? 
we're gonna live it up and partying it baked and we're gonna party so hard and we want to live life how we want to live life you see god doesn't make robots god doesn't make robots people have to choose for themselves and while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, in verse 20, that is, eight souls, eight souls were saved through water. The very thing that took life also preserved life. And even the preservation of life had very specific blueprints. Very specific blueprints, which were neglected, hated, mocked, and ridiculed by many, but cherished by far fewer, eight souls. And Brother Peter is writing about this. In verse 21, he says there is also an antitype, which is a corresponding pattern. Not there was, there is. There is also an antitype. There is also a corresponding, a corresponding pattern, which now saves us. Baptism. Baptism. Verse 21. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus. You see? Death has no victory. Jesus is alive. And just as there was the ark in Noah's day, there is the ark of our day, which is Jesus. That's why we say, come aboard. Jump ship, welcome aboard. He is the ark of our time. And we see the corresponding pattern of the flood of Noah's days being our baptism or likened to our baptism. But let us also not forget the water that gave dry passage for Israel and condemnation for Egypt. Let us not also forget the water that Peter walked on and the water on which Peter also sank. You see? It's so beautiful what Peter is saying to the saints of the diaspora of his day, 64 AD during the perilous time of his day. How beautiful it is for us to un understand for the perilous times of our day. And of this Jesus, Son of the Most High, look what Peter says in verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. You see, everything Everything, everything is in submission to Jesus. Everything. Everything. The non-believer could argue, well, you know, that's nice. Not me. Not me. The non-believer could say, I'm not, you say everything's in submission to Jesus? I'm not. The non-believer could say that. But understand, that's not because of the person. That's not because of them. And you might be listening as a non-believer. And you hear me say that everything is in submission to Jesus. 
And you're like, not me. But let me tell you something. It's not because of you. It's not because of you. It's because of God's long-suffering. Not willing that you should perish, but that you come to life. That you come to Jesus. That you come on board the ark. It's not because of you. It's because of God's mercy. And he's long-suffering for you. Have you ever missed a flight before? You ever miss a flight where it's like you're like running? You're, first of all, you're speeding on the highway. And you, know, you, you park and your park job is like crooked because, you know, you know you'll, 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 you'll bite the bullet and pay the ticket if you get ticketed for a, a really bad park job. Then you're like running through the terminal. And you get to the gate and it's too late. Doors closed. Because, hey, there's a schedule to keep. You missed the flight. Or you missed the bus. Or you missed the train. Or you missed, you know, whatever, you know. The train, the the cab. Well, not a cab because, you know, you can call that in. But there's a tight schedule. The plane, the bus, the train. And you missed it. But with the Lord, no, he keeps that door open because he's long-suffering for you. And you might figure, well, I got time, I got time. I'll do it next week, I'll do it next year. I'll put it, I'll, I'll add it to my New Year's resolution. No, don't do that. Because that door, he's kept it open for 2,000 years, give or take a couple years. It's not going to be open forever. It's open today. You say, I'm not submitting to Jesus. I'm listening to this guy speak and he says everything submits to Jesus. Not me, not me, not me. Fat chance, I'm not submitting to Jesus. That's not you, my friend. It's God's long suffering. It's his mercy. Understand, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But let me tell you a better way. Rather than be circumcised when it is too late, and I don't speak of the circumcision of flesh. Rather than be circumcised when it's too late, just like when David had the circumcision of the dead. Instead of being circumcised when it's too late, much better it is to be circumcised right here, right now. And again, it is not a circumcision of the flesh. It is a circumcision of the heart where no man can tread, only the Lord. Everything is subject to Jesus. And he is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And if you're listening and you're not a believer yet. We're at the end of our study. But after this study, go and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. 
be uncircumcised no more. And have circumcision of heart. And God is long-suffering for you. Not willing that you should perish. You see? Five minutes late, the door's open. Ten minutes late, the door's open. Twenty minutes late, the door's open. It's not going to be open forever. And you might think you're late. But let me tell you something. The Lord's timing? Perfect. Right here, right now. Let today be the day of salvation to the beautiful people of the way, saints of these last days. God bless you. I love you.